welcome, welcome, welcome to the Matt Walsh Podcast. Thank you for being here. Please have a seat, sit down, uh, make yourself at home. All right, cut out the chit-chat. We have things we have to talk about. I'm sorry, I'm a little, I feel a little uh, ornery right now because I, 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 I'm humiliated, I guess. I'm lashing out because I'm humiliated. I had to, this morning, I had to get up this morning and walk about a mile down the road to the tire place and pick up my car, which had been towed due to a flat tire. And can you see how that's humiliating for a man that I had to walk into this place? And of course I walk in and there's like six dudes standing around, you know, having a dude conversation. And I walk in and I'm wearing my pea coat and I say, yes, my, my car was towed last night. I had a flat tire. I had to be towed. Can I, please, can I pick it up? Thank you. That's how, that's probably what I sounded like. I, in my head, that's what I sounded like in front of these guys. And they didn't say anything. They didn't judge me for it, but they, I could just tell, I just assumed anyway, that they were looking at me and what a, this man, this is no man here. This is no man has to have his car towed because of a flat tire. There's a rational explanation. Really? There is. And I'll tell you what it is. I, I, uh, I only have one car at the moment. My wife and I, we have one car. Uh, we had two, but the other one out of commission, we had to sell it for parts working on getting a second at the moment. We only have one. She was driving the car last night. Um, in fact, going to a church for Ash Wednesday and on the way, she gets the flat tire. Now she calls me up. I'm at the house with the kids. I don't have a car. I can't get to her. Now, if I could, I would have, and I would have changed the tire myself because, you know, despite what you may think, I know how to change a tire at the very least. I can't do much else in life, but I can do that. But anyway, they didn't have this backstory at the tire place. And then, uh, so, so my wife is actually, you know, she, she's, uh, she knows a fair amount about cars, but I don't think she's ever changed a tire before. And, uh, so she ends up calling USAA and they come out and they say, well, we can't change it for you because you don't have the right equipment in the car. And it's a thing. It's a legal thing. And I think we did have the right equipment, but whatever they tow it. And so this morning I go to pick it up and I explained all this to them. I gave them the backstory at the tire place just because my manhood was, uh, my, my, my pride was suffering. And I don't think they believe me. They just looked at me like, yeah, sure, dude, whatever you say. Whatever you say, man. Here's your keys. Here's your car back. Why don't you go uh, stop by Starbucks on the way and get a get a get a latte on the way. Get a, get a skinny vanilla latte on the way home. How about that? That's what they said. Well, they didn't say that, but I assume that they were thinking it. So they might as well have said it. All right. Uh, a lot I want to get to today, um, and we're, we're going to start with this. It's kind of an extension of the conversation that, that we had yesterday about ADHD, but I want to take it beyond ADHD. And we've talked about this quite a bit, at least I have, with various different audiences. I wrote something about it yesterday. And then uh, on Saturday, uh, just a few days ago, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, at the Great Homeschool Convention. I was giving a talk there. And the title of the talk is The Personality Genocide. Personality genocide refers to the attempt by our society, in the, whether, it's, whether it's the education system or society at large, the attempt to eradicate entire personality types, entire sets of behavior, entire attitudes, entire sort of proclivities, because they don't work with the system. They don't fit into the program. So if you have a certain personality type that doesn't work in the organized educational environment of modern day society, well, we say, well, that's, uh, that's diseased, that's disordered, it, it, it can't exist, we're going to do whatever we can to get rid of it. And whatever we can includes intimidation, uh, coercion, and of course, medication. 
So this is a this is a genocide that's being committed through chemical warfare as well as psychological warfare. Now it sounds crazy to use language like this and to use terms like this, and I I don't use terms like genocide lightly, but that really is what's going on. And I want to explain all that because it goes beyond ADHD. And I don't want to rehash everything that I wrote yesterday. You can go to the Blaze or uh, the MattWalshBlog.com and you can you can find the link to what I wrote yesterday. It was called the title of it. ADHD definitely doesn't exist, but if it did, I would have it. And I lay out in what I, what I explained on Facebook yesterday, this, this was a post originally 6,000 words long that I wrote in just a fevered state. I was just sitting there and typing 6,000 words I wrote about why ADHD doesn't exist. I ended up paring it down to about a solid 2,500, which I know is still war and peace by internet standards, but I, I would ask that you go and read it. Uh, go to theblaze.com. It's still up there on the front page. I would ask that you go and read it because I'm not going to rehash all the points. But I made my case, put the link up on Facebook, and within a couple of hours, there were 900 comments just on Facebook alone. And I would say uh, probably half, maybe more than half, but let's just say conservative estimate, half of them were very angry, which is what I expected. People accusing me of, uh, of, of uh, you know, insulting their children, of attacking them as parents. And you know, we become very invested. That, that's why it's hard to have a conversation about the way we treat mental disorders, so-called mental disorders in this society. It's hard to have a conversation about it because people become very invested in that diagnosis. And it's a strange sort of thing, isn't it? Because... If, if somebody, doctor comes along and says, you have a disorder, there's something wrong with you. And then somebody else comes along and says, well, here are some reasons why maybe there isn't anything wrong with you. Why maybe you're okay. It's weird to get offended by that second person, isn't it? Isn't it strange to get mad at the second person? Now, you could disagree with them if you want. You could laugh them off. You could say, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. But to get mad at them, to get offended, when, what did they just say? They said, no, I don't think there is anything wrong with you. I think that you're, I think that you're a wonderful and special person, and here's why. But we become offended by that. We become offended by that. Somebody comes along with a message of, I think you're okay, and we become offended. We don't want to be okay. It's a weird thing now, but we don't want to be okay. We're told there's something wrong with us that we need medication, and it's, it, it's like we want that for ourselves. It's a very strange mentality that exists, not just in this realm, but, but uh, across the board. But I saw there was one comment that I want to concentrate on, and it was not a negative comment, but a positive one. It was on my Facebook, and I hope she doesn't mind me reading it, but she put it on Facebook, so I assume she doesn't mind it being uh, uh, public. But it's from a woman named Ali, and uh, this is what she said. She said, Matt, our daughter is in second grade, and we have had her tested. She had ADD, according to the testing. Not ADHD, but ADD. We medicated for a bit because she was really struggling in school. We chose to take her off the medication because she was a zombie. Quiet, too focused, almost unloving. The complete opposite of who she was beforehand. We still haven't put her back on, and she is continuously bullied by her peers because she cannot pass uh, her, uh, her math test. Her teacher is not understanding, and neither are any of her peers. 
But this is the key part, and I want you to concentrate on this because I thought it was, I thought it was very, it was very affecting. It was very profound. Uh, she says, "I would rather see her as herself and not do well in school than some focused zombie who is not our daughter." Thanks for writing this article. But just that part right there, I would rather see her as herself and not do well in school. I thought, and I wrote back to her, and I said, that is a very bold attitude and an awesome attitude, a courageous one. I wish more people had it. And it's, it's unfortunate that parents feel they need to make that choice, where either my child can be herself or we can turn her into someone she isn't just so she can get through school. But that's the choice. That's the choice that we're faced with as parents. That's the choice that students are faced with. And the thing is, what we've noticed, you know, the, the, the education system holds such a, has such a, a, a grip. It has such a death grip on not just our kids, but on us. That we, we start to believe that the most important thing in the world Beyond anything, the most important thing in the world is that our kids succeed from an academic perspective in school for 12 years and then for another four or whatever once they go into college. And I think it's when we start to accept that premise, that's when you start getting things like ADHD. Because what I've been trying to explain this whole time and the, and the crux of my entire argument, this is, this is really, you know, I know p- people, when, when you start talking about uh, mental disorders or whatever, you're going to start, people say, oh, you're not a doctor. Look at you, Mr. Psychologist. Oh, it looks like we got a brain surgeon over here. Thinks he has an opinion. And of course, 99.9 uh, times out of 100, the person saying that isn't a doctor, a psychologist, or a neurologist either. They're just an average Joe Schmo like you. Yet they're trying to use your Joe Schmonis against you. So their opinion is okay. They're allowed to have their opinion, but your opinion you can't have. Why can't you have your opinion? Because you're not credentialed. Yet they lack the same credentials. But in this case, this isn't really primarily a scientific argument about whether ADHD is a disorder or whatever. It's not a scientific argument. Because you can look at the science. Now, as far as the science goes, as long as you're literate and you can read, which I can, you can do research and you can read into these things just like anybody else. You don't have to be a doctor to pick up a book and read it. And it just so happens that I picked up many books and read them about this subject, and I have informed myself on it. And I'm not going to say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm an expert, because I, I don't know how you declare yourself an expert in anything. But I am someone who has a base of knowledge in it because I have attained that knowledge through reading and research, which isn't hard to do, but it takes time, and I've done it. All right. And the reason why I've done it is because it interests me, uh, but also for selfish reasons. For selfish reasons that, 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 that I'm someone who, quote, suffers from all of the symptoms outlined in uh, you know, the ADHD brochures. I, I have all of the symptoms. The only one that I lack is talkative, although I do like to talk if it's something that interests me, and I do talk to myself quite a bit. But everything else, but I can also go long stretches of time and say nothing. Um, which is in and of itself actually a, a, a part of the diagnosis as well. So you, you, have, you have behaviors that are in two opposite ends of the spectrum that are included in the ADHD diagnosis. You have moves too slowly and also r- runs around. Those are both included, either one. You're slow or fast, you could still have ADHD. That, that's, that's the fantastic thing about it. But my point is, through reading, what I've discovered is that this is not primarily a medical 
um, th there isn't any proof on a neurological basis that ADHD is a disorder. There isn't any proof of it whatsoever. No proof exists. This is just how do we categorize these behaviors and these sorts of people? That's the question. So it is a, an ideological kind of question or a logical question. It's just a human question. It's not a medical one. We all agree that there are certain people who act a certain way. We all agree. Okay? So there are kids that are very uh, energetic, very active. There are kids that are uh, daydream a lot, kids that talk a lot, kids that can't sit still in school, kids that can't pay attention. I mean, those kind of kids exist. The question, and nobody denies that. So when I say ADHD doesn't exist, I'm not denying the existence of these sorts of behaviors at all. And I, and I couldn't deny it because I'd be denying myself if I were to do that. But the question is, how do you categorize them? Is it fundamentally disordered behavior or not? That is not a medical question. That's philosophical. That's what does it mean to be human? What is the correct, quote, order of human behavior? The disorder, okay, dis in Latin uh, means away or apart from. So what is the order? What is the correct human order from which ADHD people are apart? That's the question. That is a philosophical, like Greek f philosophy, Socrates kind of question. That is not a question that, that your pediatrician automatically can answer because he's a pediatrician. Oh, I'm a doctor. Well, I can tell you all about humanity. Doesn't work that way. Yes, your doctor can look at a kid who can't pay attention to class and say, well, you can't pay attention to class. Thank you, doctor. I know. But when your doctor says, well, but he should be able to, that's disordered human behavior. Now he's giving you his philosophical opinion about what it means to be a human being. Our modern educational construct, and I call it modern because it is very modern, it is a very new thing where we say, all right, from the age of four, and now even sometimes it's two or three, but, but uh, when you start adding in universal pre-K and all that nonsense, but, but uh, so right now from the age of four or five, let's say five, um, I'll be generous, from the age of five until at least 18, but now when you tack on college, it's really like five to the age of about 22, you have to be in an organized educational environment for six to seven hours a day, five days a week, nine months a year um, in classes and in rooms with uh, 15 to 30 other kids in a big building with thousands of other kids following a generalized curriculum that was, uh, that was, that was written by bureaucrats. That is, that's how we approach education today, and it is very, very, very recent. You go back even 100 years, and it was much less common. Go back 100 years before that, it didn't exist. Go back through the, the, the course of human history, and this sort of approach didn't exist. I mean, it used to be for thousands of years, it used to be that you would only you know, go through organized schooling for 16 years if you were like a, a, a royalty. If you were a nobleman, if you were a person of extraordinary means and wealth, and therefore you didn't have to do a real job, so you would just go to school and you would learn 70 languages and everything else, right? And you would learn, and you would learn classic literature and you would read the Odyssey and, 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 and you would do all that. But everybody else, they, they got into a trade. They got into a craft. 
there wasn't this concept that every single person should be in organized schooling for 16 years. That didn't exist till very recently. And, and um, like a lot of sort of progressive liberal ideas, uh, when you don't think about them, you know, if someone just shouts them at you from a distance and you have two seconds to think about them, no frame of reference, and someone just runs up to you on the street and says, everyone goes to school for 16 years. What's your opinion? It's, uh, I, okay, it sounds good. I don't know. Right? That's, that's, those are liberal ideas. Someone just runs up and shouts them at you. You have two seconds to come up with, a, with, with an opinion. But the thing is, if you had a minute or two minutes or a day or a year to think about it, uh, it wouldn't even take that long before you say, well, wait a second. I mean, yes, on one hand, ideally, I mean, the, the idea of everyone, quote, being educated for that long seems nice. But at the same time, that does, does that really work for everyone? Does everyone even need that? Is sitting in a school in an organized environment, is that the only way to be educated? Now you throw the Internet into it, and now we all carry around in our pockets. We all carry around in a device that gives us access to all of the recorded information in the history of mankind. We carry it around in our pocket now. We all have access to all of the information conceivable. Or you can go to a library and pick up a book. Really even better. Go to Barnes & Noble. You don't even need to buy the books. You just sit in a chair and read them. That's what I do. I've never bought, I don't think I've ever bought a book from a bookstore. I don't even know why that. I just go, I just read the book and I, I leave it there. That's what I do. I'm a cheapskate, right? But that's what you can do. And so when you have time to think about it, you think, well, well, maybe for a lot of people, um, th- that becomes the most effective way for them to learn. And yeah, there aren't the tests and you can't quanti- quantify their knowledge in that way. And maybe not everyone learns in a way where their knowledge can be quantified. And in fact, maybe knowledge can't be quantified at all. Yeah, you can take a test, but, but does that... Does that mean that you really have a firm grasp on it? You could take a test about 17th century British literature, but does, does that mean that you, that, you, that you really have a grasp on it? That you understand the concepts in all of these wonderful books? If you're good at memorization, you could probably get an A on a test about 17th century British literature without actually reading any of it. You could read none of it and still get an A on a test. I used to do that when I was in school. The, the, the only, see, I've always been a good kind of BS artist, right? And so... Um, I was, I could never do the Scantron tests or the tests where you do the multiple choice and you bubble in the answers. I tried to dial down the center thing, you know, put C's on everything or do the A, B, C, D, D, you know, to do that thing or A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A. But in English and history classes, when we got essay questions, now those I could pass. And what I used to do, we would get summer reading and I wouldn't read the books, but I would pride myself and kids, you shouldn't pride yourself on this, but I would pride myself on the fact that I wouldn't read the books. But then school would start, and we'd have to take these essay tests about the books, and I would get A's on those essay tests every time, and I didn't even read the book. Because they were asking these interpretive questions, and they were sort of, uh, well, what do you think when the protagonist went through this? How, how, do you, how would you interpret what he went through? And, how? And, and so I would just read the back of the book, and I would come up with these glorious answers that were very long, and I would get A's because I would just BS it. The test was, was supposed to quantify my knowledge of the book, yet I had no knowledge of the book, and I would still get A's on the test. So not all knowledge can be quantified. Not all of it can be categorized. Not all of it can be boiled down to an A, a B, a C, or a D. And some people learn and think in such a way that their knowledge can never be quantified or categorized or compiled in that manner. So the point is, here's the point. ADHD and a lot of these other behavior disorders, so-called, Uh, They only exist because they don't work in school. And that's that's the the one thing that I I heard from probably 90% 
of the people that were upset by my thoughts about ADHD. And they said, well, you know what? My kid couldn't uh, succeed in school. We gave him the pill and now he succeeds. Okay. Okay. I I believe you. And you know what? Lance Armstrong couldn't win the Tour de France. Takes a steroid. Now he wins it. What does that prove? Does that prove that his inability to win the Tour de France was a disorder? Or does it prove that steroids help people do, do physical things? A pill that forces you to concentrate and numbs your brain to all the other distractions. Of course that's going to help you complete a test, obviously. But that doesn't prove that your inability to complete the test was a disorder. And it's only a disorder if, remember, disorder apart from. Remember, this is a philosophical question, not a scientific one. Because it is only a disorder to be unable to complete, say, a math test. If the ability to complete an algebra test is an essential facet of the normal order of humanity, which I would argue it isn't, that's my argument. It's a philosophical one. Now, there are, with ADHD, there are all these uh, qualifications and you know, all, the, all these symptoms that are just normal behaviors. Uh, one of the symptoms, for instance, uh, if a child is bored by things that aren't enjoyable. Okay, that's actually listed as a symptom of a mental disorder. I mean, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I remember the first time I actually looked up the, the diagnostic criteria for ADHD a while ago, and I looked at it, and my jaw just dropped. It was worse than I could have ever imagined. It was worse than I could have imagined. I was flabbergasted. I said, this is actually listed as a, by, in medical textbooks? Bored by unenjoyable things? That's... Listed as a possible symptom of a disorder in five-year-olds. Again, that is not a scientific analysis. That is a, an extreme, radical, ideological assessment where someone has decreed that five-year-olds shouldn't be easily bored. Not only is it radical, but it's insane. It is irrational. But in any case, they list all these disorders, and then um, there are just all these completely arbitrary standards where it's you know a child under 16 has to exhibit uh six of the symptoms for over six months in two or more uh facets of life and so the facets of life you know work school home so usually it's home and school so two or more facets of life for over six months six symptoms under the age of 16 utter where do they come up with these numbers Utterly arbitrary. Why not 17? Why not 14? Why not 4? Why not 7? Why 6? Why two facets of life? Why not 1? Why not half? Why not 3? Why not 4? What do you call, what, why, is it, why do we even consider this a facet of life? How do you decide what's a facet or a domain of life? Where do you come up with this? No basis for it. It's arbitrary. They said, well, it'll be 6 symptoms for 6 months. Why? Why those numbers? You don't have a reason for it. Before we even get to the arbitrary, you know, six symptoms, whatever, before we get to that, um, why do the symptoms, quote, have to show up in a life domain such as school? If they're symptoms, if they are fundamentally disordered behaviors, then they should be fundamentally mentally disordered no matter where you present them, no matter how they present. doesn't matter the where, when, if, what, none of that matters. The where and the when shouldn't matter. But we have decided that everyone must go to school, sit quietly for 16 years, including college. And so anything that prohibit that, 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 that makes 
that difficult, that interferes with that, is disordered. So do you see the, 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 the starting premise is everyone should go to school for 16 years. That's the starting premise. You take that premise away, and now you have no basis to declare any of this disordered. So we have decided that this is the order of things. School for 16 years. We have decided that this is the order. And anything that interferes with that order is disordered. Once again, for the umpteenth time, that is not a scientific diagnosis. That is not a scientific determination. That is not science. That is philosophy. And I strongly disagree with it. Strongly. I go back to the comment from Ali. Would rather see her as herself and not do well in school. I think what we have to start to do is open up our minds. Allow people to be different. Allow people to follow a different path. That's what I urge. That's my prayer. That's all I'm trying to say. And, and, and to act as though that, you know, that's a, an offensive thing to say or I'm attacking children, I, I take exception to that. That's actually infuriating. With people, oh, you're, this is a, you're attacking children. I'm not the one attacking children. I'm saying let a child figure out who he is, who she is. Let them be that. You know, I said in my talk in Fort Worth, I said, you know, it used to be that children were born into a world and now they're born into a hallway. We have this very narrow hallway or a one-way street with walls on either side. And we say, here you go, here's the starting point, walk straight. And walk straight means you go to pre-K, you go to kindergarten, you go to first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Uh, take a summer off, go to college, four years in college, maybe you do a fifth year, maybe you get a master's, uh, and then you go and you get a job, nine to five, at a desk, uh, make sure you have two weeks of vacation, make sure you have health care. You do that until you're, uh, you know, well now probably until you're about 77, you try to retire and then you live off your retirement, Social Security, for another few years, and you die about the age of 86 or 87. And we've decided that that is what it means to be a person. That is the order we've decided that everyone must follow. And I think it's, I think it's a damn tragedy because I, I, I think the world is such, so much bigger. It, it, things are, are, are so much more fluid. It, it's, such, it's wider than that. That's what I always try to tell people, even my friends now, you're my age, 27, 28, 29, whatever. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're um, and I have friends like this where they have, they followed that, you know, order and they went to college and they succeeded in college and school and they, they got a job nine to five and they're making a good living now. They're making a good salary. You know, they have vacation time and they're just not happy and they feel unfulfilled. You know, and some of these guys, I know them, they are very creative. Uh, but they but they're doing this job and they feel unfulfilled and they're only 28 29 years old they're already having a, a freaking uh midlife crisis and, and and they say you know i'm not happy doing this i, I don't want to do this you know I, I went to college i did everything just so i could get this job and i have this stability and i don't like it i'm not happy i don't want to do it and i say to these guys especially the ones a lot of them not married don't have kids uh i say well then don't i say quit your job go move across the country you know, go, 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 go drive across the country. Stop on the way and, 
I don't know, get, get, a, get a job at a, anything, do anything, go anywhere, do anything with your time, anything, take a risk, do anything, you can do anything, you don't have to do it this way. I got an email yesterday from a kid uh, in high school, and he really doesn't want to go to college, he really doesn't want to go to college, and his parents aren't having any of it, they're saying, well, you got to go. You have to go. And he wrote to me and he said, well, what should I do? I don't know what to tell the guy because on one hand, you know, you should respect your parents. I think that's very important. But on the other hand, I want to say to him, and he's not my child. I don't want to interfere with what, with his, with his parents. He's not my child, but I want to say to him, don't go do anything. You can do anything or you can try anyway. You can try to do anything. But the point is there are so many options. This does not have to be the order of things. I know another guy, um, Kind of grew up, guy that I grew up around, never knew him all that well, but uh, friends of friends and that kind of thing. But, but anyway, I was, uh, I was recently talking to somebody else, and they were telling me about this guy. And uh, si- similar situation. I-, I think this is going on in my generation, where a-, a lot of the people in my generation, they followed the, no- the order of things, and they took the drugs to get there, Adderall, Ritalin, whatever. And they did everything that they were told they were supposed to do. And they went to college like they were told they were supposed to do. And they got desk jobs like they were told they were supposed to do. And they got good incomes like they were told they were supposed to do. And they got the health care and they got the benefits like they were told they were supposed to do. And they reached a point, they reached a wall, and they said, I am not happy. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm not happy. I don't feel fulfilled. I can't live like this for the rest of my life. I have all of this stuff, all this stability, everything that I was told I was supposed to have, and I'm not happy. I think this is happening with a lot of people in my generation. I look around, and I see how that order of things, that we were put in this box, we were put in this hallway, we were drugged, and we were pushed along and said, do this, go this way, spend the first 16 years of your life doing all of this because we say that it's the way it's supposed to be. And now I look around at the people in my generation, and it's failed. And a lot of these constructs, these were constructs invented, by the previous generation, that would be the baby boomers. And by the way, my parents are baby boomers, and they're awesome people, the best people in the world. I love them to death. I'm not talking about them when I say this, but a lot of the baby boomers who invented all these things and, and came up with these concepts and invented ADHD and started putting drugs in people's mouths, they got a lot of things wrong. They screwed up this country in a lot of ways. Their methods have not worked We are inheriting this world from them. And what good have they accomplished? Not much. Baby boomer generation, largely considered the worst generation in the history of the country because they ruined literally every institution. And they're the first generation that will leave their kids poorer than they were. The first to do that. So that's another reason I stand back and I I say, well, why, why should I accept what they're saying? about the way we're supposed to live our lives. It didn't work for them. Didn't work for them, did it? So anyway, I've got this, this other guy that I know and, and uh, had a similar sort of crisis, uh, mid-20s crisis, and he ends up quitting his job, and uh, he starts traveling around the world. I think he's in India or Indonesia now or somewhere, but he, just traveling around the world, you know, taking odd jobs. Doing, I think he's doing a, like a podcast or something about his travels, and uh, – and and I just look at that and I, you know if you have kids and a, and a wife and everything you can't really do that he doesn't and I look at that and say hey why not I mean you know why not it's the old cliche about someone backpacking around the world trying to find themselves but I say why not why not do that who says that's the wrong thing to do who says the right thing to do is just to sit in that office for the benefits and the salary yeah you need to make a living I believe it's important to start a family and all that but who says that the process we were that was handed to us is the right way to go about it 
Who says that? Where's that proven? There's that bumper sticker that you see with the slogan made popular, I believe, by the baby boomers. It says, question everything. Question everything. And I I think uh, I don't usually follow the advice handed down by stickers on the backs of Toyota Corollas, but I think there's a lot lot of truth in that. I think you could take it too far and question everything and you become a something of a relativist, which I am not by any stretch of the imagination. But I do believe that we should ask questions. We should ask questions, particularly when we're dealing with institutions. Okay. When we're dealing with things, processes, strategies invented by people, those are the things we should always question, always. The things that go beyond humanity, the things of God, okay, those, those things we, we, should, we should try to understand, but it's a different sort of questioning. Because in that process, we're going to God humbly, and we're praying for better wisdom to understand. But we're not tearing God down and rejecting him, because we do that and we end up even more confused than we were before. But when it comes to societal institutions, when it comes to these uh, strategies, this, this, this process invented by people very recently, this philosophy invented by people telling us how we should live and, and, and the way that our life should pan out, that's the sort of thing that I think we should go to and we should just tear it down, tear it down and dissect it and look at, look at every last little piece of it. You know, all of this talk about diversity and Tolerance and diversity, but when it comes down to it, we might be the most rigidly narrow civilization in the history of of the world. I mean, I think all civilizations throughout the world have had a general idea about, okay, this is the way things are generally supposed to play out for people. But but for us, we've taken it to the next level, and, and we've said that, okay, we have a general idea of how things should play out and what you should do, but we've taken it to the next level. We say... But if you if you don't fit in, now you're diseased and disordered. We're going to put drugs in you. We're going to force you chemically. We're going to chemically force the matter. So what I would say finally to any kids who might be listening, if you find as hard as you try, it's difficult for you to fit in at school. It's difficult for you to succeed. And, and you're different. You're different from everybody else. And you see that and you're struggling with it. What I, What I would say to you, first of all, and I want you to listen to this, This is the most important thing that anyone is going to say to you today. You're going to hear it right here. Because I want you to understand that you are different and that you do struggle to succeed in school and to fit in and to go along with the program. And that it's a real struggle that that you're going through. I know because I've been there. And I know how hard it is. And I know how confusing it is. Because right now you're in school and it seems like that's the only thing in the world. This is your entire world revolves around this and you feel like you'll never escape it but 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 you will because this is such a short period of time and eventually you're going to be out of there you're going to be out of that place eventually you're going to be free from it and you're going to find then that 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 all of the things required to quote unquote succeed in that environment a lot of them the truth is they don't it doesn't translate into the world at large it just doesn't and it certainly doesn't translate into the most important measure of success which is happiness and I, and I want you to understand when I say the most important measure of success is happiness, I don't mean 
that we should trade, we should chase happiness for our own sake. And I'm not, I, when I say happiness, I don't mean pleasure. You know, I, I don't mean leisure. I mean, true, deep happiness, happiness as in joy. Okay. And the joy that comes from, from living a fulfilling and godly life, that is joy. The joy that brings us closer to God, that is the true measure of success. Not happiness as in, as in you enjoy every second of your life and you're leisurely and, uh, and all that. I mean, I mean, deep joy coming from God. You're going to find that, that what it takes to attain that has very little, if, if, if really nothing to do with what it requires to attain A's and B's on a report card in a public school. So what I want you to know is that you feel different and you feel like there's something wrong with you. And you are different, but there's nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. It's hard to understand this now because public school is a place, not just public school, but organized school in general, is a place of such brutal conformity that it's hard to really understand that true difference, I mean, a substantive true difference is, is, is a beautiful thing. It's hard to understand that, but it's true. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. You can't follow the program. You don't fit in with it. Well, that's fine because you're going to be out of that program eventually. You're going to get out into the world. And as much as they want to make the world narrow and force you along a certain path, it actually isn't that way. Because they might erect those walls, but you can break them down. You can live your own life. There's nothing wrong with you. Okay? All right. All right, that's going to do it for me. Uh, I guess we'll just, uh, we'll just leave it there on that emotional note and I will talk to you that's that emotional note that's the Balmer accent here right there so I'll talk to you talk to you next week Akruche Salus Godspeed